Lord, may now the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we have finally reached the final phrase of the Lord's Prayer. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. But i got to tell you, immediately when you hear those words, we are faced with a problem. The problem is that benediction, that ending to the Lord's Prayer, is not found in the text of most modern translations of the Bible. And yet we all say, well, hold it, we all know how the Lord's Prayer ends. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And then Lutherans add, and forever, amen. So the question is, what's going on here? If these words are part of the Lord's Prayer, why don't we always find them where we hope to find them in the Bible? And if they're not in the Bible, who added this little section? Well, i got to tell you, the, the answer is as simple as the question. Some people say Jesus never said those words. They just believe the Lord's Prayer actually ended and deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. There was no benediction. There was no amen. It was just period. Well, these same people, uh, textual critics, also suggested the early church felt like the prayer ended too abruptly, but deliver us from the evil one, period. And so they thought maybe they should tack something else on. But this isn't a really huge problem, by the way, uh, because the words are actually in some of your Bibles. And I say some because if some of you are still reading from the King James Version of the Bible, those words, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, are part of the text if you take it from Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. But in most other versions, however, those words are not found in the text. They are found where? They're found in the footnotes. They're found in the margins. That's why today's message is called Preaching from the Footnotes. Now, that's because it's not mentioned in some earlier manuscripts of the Bible. It doesn't show up till a little bit later. But in all of this, is kind of confusing to the modern reader of the Bible. I mean, after all, if experts can't agree among themselves, uh, how are we to come to any safe and sure conclusion about the Bible being accurate. I mean, how are we to know? I mean, what is the state and the evidence for actually including those words, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, amen? Well, I just want to share three very simple statements kind of by way of introduction. One of them is this, that little benediction, the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, amen, does not appear in the earliest manuscripts that we have found of the New Testament. Second of all, this benediction appears in varying, varying forms in later manuscripts. And the third thing I would tell you is the benediction does not appear in Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer at all, only in Matthew. Now, I got to tell you that most people who study the Bible agree with the last point. It just seems likely that Jesus taught this prayer on more than one occasion. Now, we know that at one time... 
the disciples came to Jesus and said, you know, we've seen you pray and everything. John teaches his disciples, teach us to pray. And in Matthew, Jesus said, okay, when you pray, pray along these lines. But obviously, I think what Jesus did, he also taught this prayer more than once, probably did not use the same words word for word. The benediction indeed may be very um, original in Matthew, but I can tell you it is not found in the manuscript texts of Luke. Incidentally, uh, Jerome, who wrote the Latin Vulgate, that's the Latin translation of the Bible, uh, he does, he does not include the benediction at all, which explains why Catholic Bibles today omit the benediction. In fact, they're not, it's not, you can't even find it in the footnotes of a Catholic Bible. That's probably why, if you've ever been around a bunch of Catholics, they're rather surprised when they show up at your church or our church, and we have, they find that we have discovered, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, and we even toss in an extra forever, just for good measure. Now, let me say frankly that I lean towards the view that Jesus spoke these words. I don't have any problem with Jesus saying, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. We know that Jesus often repeated his teachings. We know, for example, that he gave the Great Commission five times in five different settings to five different groups of people in five different books of the Bible, and it's not always the same words that he used time after time. Now, he may have added the benediction sometimes. Sometimes he may have chosen not to add it. But I'm going to tell you that, you know, Matthew's version is correct. So is Luke's version. After all, everybody agrees that those words, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, amen, are true words, and they're very biblical words. In fact, I wish I would have put this on your outline, uh, but I want to read to you from First Chronicles. This is in the Old Testament, First Chronicles 29 verses 11 to 13, and, and I want you to listen and answer this question. Does this sound the least bit familiar? Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. There it is. It's pretty much a paraphrase or even kind of an expansion of how we end the Lord's Prayer. So this final benediction, whether it's in Matthew or whether it's not in Luke, seems to me to form kind of a fitting end to the Lord's Prayer. In fact, I think it'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with a better ending for the Lord's Prayer than the one that we have. So I'm going to proceed, and we're going to ask this question this morning. What does this last little phrase, because we've dug into a lot of stuff about deliver us from evil or the evil one. We've talked about does God tempt his people. We've got on some pretty heavy subjects. But I, I want to ask this morning, what does this final benediction how does it add to our understanding of the Lord's Prayer? Now, I'm going to suggest this morning that it teaches us or reinforces three really great truths. Here's truth number one. First of all, it points us back to God as the source of all of our blessings. In fact, we're going to sing at the close of the service today, Praise God from whom all blessing flows. You know, there's kind of a Trinitarian emphasis in this closing part. Thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, those three words. 
that kind of takes both halves of the Lord's Prayer, and it kind of brings the whole prayer together when you think about it. We are to pray that God's name be hallowed. Yours is the glory. Even our daily bread, then, is sacred when we eat it to God's glory. Uh, we're just pray, your kingdom come. And what does the end say? Yours is the kingdom. And it's by the grace of our King Jesus that our, our sins are forgiven. And so we're taught to pray, your will be done, because what? Because yours is the power. It's by the power of the Spirit that we are rescued from sin and death and the devil. And so by arranging the prayer this way, Jesus is teaching us some very fundamental truths about the Christian life. And one of the fundamental Christian truths I really think the Lord's Prayer teaches us is this. All of our blessings ultimately come from God. As I have gone through this prayer, I don't know how many times in the last 11 weeks and how many weeks before putting this series together. But over and over, I just think, man, this prayer reminds me all of my blessings come from God. Now, I say that knowing that there are a few of you, maybe, who think God is pretty lucky to have you in his kingdom. But I got news for you, it ain't so. Uh, the Lord's Prayer teaches us how blessed we are to be on his side. I mean, God could do just fine without any of us. All that we are, all that we have, comes from God. Your life, gift of God. Your health, gift of God. Your career, gift of God. Your intelligence, gift of God. Your strength, gift of God. Your personality, gift of God. And whether you believe it or not, your children, gift of God. Your friendships, gift of God. Your possessions, gift of God. Your accomplishments, gift of God. Your wealth, gift of God. Even political commentator Rush Limbaugh understands this. Do you know that? You ever hear him say this? Talent on loan from God. That's what he says in his show. It's talent on loan from God. I always cringe a little bit when I hear him say that, but I hope he understands and believes that's true. That his gift to communicate is talent that's on loan from God. And everything you have is on loan from God. But I really hope and pray that Rush Limbaugh also understands the second part of it. And that is, it may be on loan from God, but you better take care of it. And guess what? Someday, God is going to take that gift back. But you know, we're like little kids. We hold on tight to so few borrowed marbles because we're just afraid we're ever going to lose these little marbles. But sooner or later, God comes along and God has to pry our fingers off the marbles of our hand and kind of like one by one he pulls our fingers back. Now we may fight back. I got news for you, God is stronger than you are. And in the end, God takes back all the marbles. I've seen that bumper sticker, it said at the end of the game all the pieces go back in the box. Now what is the ultimate gift? Well life is probably the ultimate gift. But none of us unless judgment day should happen, will live forever. They say rich man, poor man, bigger man, thief. Man, woman, boy, girl, white, black, yellow, brown, young, old, unknown Christian, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, they're all going to die or have died sooner or later. 
This last week, I was searching back in the archives of some messages I, I preached a number of years ago, and I was looking for an illustration, and I didn't find the illustration I was looking for, but I came across something that I wrote about five or six years ago. And a little phrase was this, you can't push a river, you've got to let it flow. You can't push the river, you just got to let it flow. Now, right now, for example, the river of your life may seem to have taken a detour. And some of you are out there trying to push the river back where you think it ought to go. It can't be done. You can't rush or push the river. I mean, for example, are you, are you worried about your future? Don't push the river. Go with the flow. And soon enough, God is going to bring you to a safe harbor. Enjoy the blessings of God today and remember... Every good thing comes from God. Now, here's the second truth. This benediction, thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever, amen, teaches us to keep going in hard times. Now, I want you to consider these three statements. The very first statement is this, God rules the governments of this world. And I got news for you, there's some people today who do not believe that at all. They think a certain president is in control, that the Congress is in control, that the whole world is out of control. I got news for you, friends. God rules the governments of this world. That's the approximate meaning of this phrase, yours is the kingdom. Governments come and go. I mean, I've taught world history and U.S. history. I mean, one of my minors in college was political science. I've seen it. It comes and goes. Uh, nations rise, nations fall. Presidents, prime ministers, they rise to power, suddenly they disappear, you never hear of them again. Men plot to overthrow governments, and then they themselves are overthrown by some other government. God rules the governments of this world. Here's the second little thought. The kingdom belongs to God. I think these will pop up on the screen if you go one more shot. There you go. The kingdoms belong to God. Now, I'm going to take you back a few years. I, I remember this pretty vividly. It was in, it was in 1991. In 1991, communism ended in Russia. On Monday morning in 1991, we awoke to the news that Mr. Gorbachev had been overthrown. Then we saw pictures of Boris Yeltsin standing on tanks. He was rallying the people. Uh, by Monday night, word had spread that the communists were going to storm the Russian Federation building. But on Tuesday morning, the people defiantly declared that they would not go back to communism. Then on Wednesday, the coup leaders had flown from Moscow in utter desperation. Wild celebrations with thousands of people dancing in the streets. The old Russian flag, not the, the, the sickle and the hammer, but the old flag was unfurled. And then the most amazing thing happened. Hundreds of young people gathered in a place called Dzerzhinsky Square, right outside the KGB headquarters, and they pulled down the huge statue of this evil man, Felix Dzerzhinsky. Now, if anyone had tried to do that a few days before, they would have been shot on the spot and no one would have cared. But in a matter of few days, the communist regime had come to a sudden and quick end. Then Latvia and Estonia joined Lithuania and they proclaimed their independence. Gorbachev returned, he was welcomed back. Yeltsin was a hero. The communist party was, for all practical purposes, dead. Now, I just give you that illustration because in, in a matter of about a week, a whole world, a whole system was turned upside down. 
Now, while all of this was happening, I was remembering some political science classes I had in college or what I was teaching. It was some words of Lenin. Lenin said at one time, religion is the opiate of the people. I mean, loosely translated, opium is the, or religion is the opium of the people. He went on to say, religion is a kind of spiritual vodka in which the slaves of capitalism drown their human shape and their claim for any decent life. You know, for 70 years, they preached that doctrine in USSR, following Lenin's words. They truly thought that they could stamp out religion in the life of the Russians. But today, communism is all but a dead corpse waiting to be buried in the graveyard of history. Meanwhile, and I know this from having been there on two occasions, the Church of Jesus Christ is stronger than ever before. Now, that's not all Lenin said. Listen, listen to his brave words. Give me four years to teach the children, and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. I mean, more than 90 years have passed, and you can still see Lenin's face in the dust in Red Square. But, you know, even the great city that was named in his honor has taken back its old name of St. Petersburg. His prophecy was his failure because that seed that he sought to plant, it only bore rotten fruit. And the crowning irony of this whole thing is it's only the older generation who still believes in any form of Leninism. If the young people today realize they have been lied to. In fact, one of the greatest memories I, I have of being in, in the Soviet Union the very first time in the city of Nizhny Novgorod was walking into this hall where I was going to preach on a Sunday morning, and there on the front was the hammer and sickle with big missiles up on either side. And they marched right down and hung a big sheet over it, and we put praise music on it. I mean, to me, what a symbolic act that was. I mean, today, they're, you know, in the past, they've torn down the statues of Lenin, but the church rolls on. Communists are out of a job, but... The church rolls on. The mighty Soviet Union is no more, but the church rolls on. In fact, the next time you grab a map of the former USSR, remember this lesson. God rules the governments of this world. Yours is the kingdom. That's what it's talking about in the Lord's Prayer. Now, here's the third, third part. God has the power to support his people. Now, the question is, anybody here need wisdom today? Well, God is wisdom. Do you need strength today to carry through your burdens? He is an unlimited store of power. Do you need that power? Well, it's, his hands are the ones that created the universe. Do you need mercy? Well, my Bible says his mercies are new every morning. Do you need a material supply? Well, my Bible says he's the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Now, the whole Bible, Genesis to Malachi, Matthew to Revelation, is a testimony to, to this truth. Where God guides, God provides. God will never lead his children where he cannot meet their needs. I mean, there is no power shortage whatsoever with God. He has the power to support his people no matter how hard things get. Not long ago, uh, walking through uh, Books a Million, actually, uh, I saw a kid had a T-shirt, and I wish I could have got my camera phone out quick enough to take a picture, but... Uh, to my best of my knowledge, the t-shirt said, trials are all about God. Trials are all about God. You know, when you think about that, when, when you pray, yours is the power, for thine is the kingdom and yours is the power, 
we are affirming our confidence that God will give us whatever we need in good times and in bad times. And God is all about those trials. God's strength, the Bible says, is made perfect where? In our weakness. And remember this, all that God does, it's an important point, all that God does, God does for his glory. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. All that God does, he does for his glory. Now, you ought to ask yourself, what's the glory of God? What's the glory of God? Well, very simply, it's anything that enhances God's reputation in this world. I mean, God never answers prayer in a way that does not ultimately bring power to his name, glory to his name. I mean, sometimes God's glory is enhanced through a miraculous answer to prayer. People have cured of, uh, of cancer or other diseases. Well, what do we say to that? To God be the glory. Other times, God is glorified when his children suffer patiently with their illnesses. Sometimes God is glorified through our prosperity. Sometimes God is glorified through our poverty. Sometimes God's reputation is enhanced when we get the job for which we've been praying. Sometimes, you know, we re when we react in a godly way and lose our job, God's name is still glorified. See, in all things, God is working to do what? Not to bring glory to you, but to bring glory to himself through the lives of his obedient children. He'll do what's best for us, our ultimate spiritual good, and in the end, we're going to discover that was work for our ultimate spiritual good ultimately brings him the glory. Now, there are going to be a couple more words that pop up on the screen. Just six words. God is good. good or God is God, good and great. I can't remember where I, where I ever saw that before, but I want you to just think for a moment about how much truth those six words contain. God is God good and great. For me, they summarize an entire Christian worldview. It's an entire biblical worldview. To say that God is God is simply to remind ourselves, go to the next screen, Matt, is to remind us of the very first rule of the spiritual life. Here's the first rule of the spiritual life. He's God and we are not. We all need to know that. I, I tell you, you go on to the next screen again. We're going to get these words. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this. But, you know, when I read my Bible, and I hope as you read your Bible, I seem to find popping up on every single page in every Bible story how good God is. That God is God. That he's good and he's great. And because God is God, he does whatever he pleases. And because God is God, he, he works in every situation. Uh, he works in places I can't see. And quite honestly, if I could see it, he still works there. I mean, to say that God is good means that his heart is always leaning towards kindness. And that gives me the courage to ask for help in times of trouble. It helps me keep a positive perspective when life seems to be kind of crumbling all around me. Now, we often say as Christians, and if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you've probably often used Romans 8.28 in your life, that all things work together for good. And guess what? They do, but that's only true because God is good. It only works out for the good because God is good. 
I mean, look at those words again. God is God, good and great. I mean, the very fact that God is God ought to humble you. That has knocked you right off the throne. God is good. That ought to encourage you. God is great. That ought to make you thankful. You know, we pray for thine is the kingdom, the power, and your glory. We're declaring that Romans 8.28 is true, that all things are for good and for his glory. Now, there's one final truth here we want to cover from we learn from this benediction. It says, this benediction, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, teaches us to praise God always. So this prayer begins and ends with God. Our Father who art in heaven ends up with, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. He's the one to whom prayer is addressed. He is the source of every answer that flows to all mankind. A couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine uh, called me, and we talked a little bit about a number of things. He said, finally, I have a question for you, Pastor. What's God been teaching you lately? What's God been teaching you lately? What would you think? What would your answer be if I picked up the phone and, and tomorrow, you know, I'd say, hey, Jack, Pastor Cole, what's God been teaching you lately? Would you have an answer right up or you kind of go, I'll be quite honest, I didn't have an immediate answer. I, I, my, in fact, my first answer was, well, that's an interesting question. What's God been teaching me lately? And I thought for a moment, and then I gave a kind of a simple reply. I said, I guess I've been learning lately that I still got a lot to learn about God. That was my answer. That I, I just, more and more, I just, I need to know more about it. And recently the thought has occurred to me that even though I've been a Christ follower virtually my entire life, there's still so much that I don't know about God. I'd say my number one lesson in, in just the last, I don't know, year, two years maybe, has been about God's goodness. In fact, I, I don't know that a day goes by that in some way or another, the question, is God good, comes to my mind. And the answer is always, you betcha. When I was in Nigeria, I learned something that a lot of churches do in churches in America. But in the churches of Nigeria, when the pastor says, God is good, the people shout back all the time. For example, let's try it. God is good. Then the pastor will say, all the time, and you say, God is good. And let's try it all together. God is good. All the time. And they do that not just once, like Lutherans, because we got to get on to the next phrase. <laughs> They'll do this over and over and over. I mean, I've stood in, I've stood in Nigerian churches where I thought, are they ever going to get done with this? <laughs> but they were just reinforcing on themselves that phrase. Let's try it one more time. God is good. All the time. Now, do you really believe that? Really? And the only reason I say that is because I, I have found a certain number of people who have constructed a God of the good times. When our prayers are answered and when life is going good, guess what? God is good all the time. 
But friends, if your God is only good during the good times, I hate to tell you this, your God is not the God of the Bible. I want to read you a story. Man is writing. We are very grateful that God spared our son and his friends in their terrible car accident. Many people have come up to us and said, God was certainly good to you. My wife and I believe that with all our hearts. But I want to say that even if our son and his friends had died, God would still have been good whether we understood it or not. Now, when I read that, I believed what he said. I agree with that. But it unnerved me a little bit to actually agree with that. And I've thought about that from time to time. And I've concluded that, you know, faith is not a feeling uh, based on our circumstances. Uh, True biblical faith chooses to believe that God is who he said he is and that he will do what he said he will do. And to be quite honest, you know, as I look around this world, and I'm sure you do too, there are many, many things that remain mysterious. I, I just don't understand some of the stuff that goes on in this world. I, I, and some of the stuff, I'm not sure anybody knows the answer to, but if there is no God, and if God is not good, then nothing makes sense. Uh, I have chosen to believe, quite honestly, because I must believe. I, I don't think I have any other choice. I truly have no other choice than to believe. I mean, along with millions of other believers in this world, through the century, I've learned through years and tears that my only confidence is in God and God alone. Now, there are two more words in the Lord's Prayer. It'd be pretty easy to skip right over them. The words, forever, amen. But don't skip past those two words too quickly. Forever tells us how long that benediction is going to last. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And if that's not enough for you, and forever. And the word amen teaches us the certainty of that benediction. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. With that one word, the great climax, the great theme of this prayer all come together. I mean, you ought to write these truths in your heart. We pray because we know these things are true. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. We pray because we know these things are always true forever. We pray because we know these things are always true, and we ought to say so. Amen. That's how it ends. Let's pray. Gracious Father, when we are tempted to despair because of situations that seem totally out of our control... Help us to remember that yours is the kingdom. When we feel like giving up, remind us that yours is the power. And when we become too impressed with ourselves, teach us again that yours is the glory. With the people of God across the ages, we affirm that these things are always true. And all of God's people said, Amen.